0: Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Namaste and shalom. Thank you very much for tuning in. Everybody out there in dreamland, the greatest audience out there listening to this podcast, either new or old, longtime listeners, longtime supporters of the show, or new. This is the Beyond Top Secret Texts Podcast, and we are going to be talking today about the James Casbolt archives that are currently listed for public readership, but I've collected them here, and I'm hopefully going to be able to read them all to you in one setting, but I haven't, you know, full disclosure, I haven't actually gone over them. And everyone knows I'm not the fastest reader, so this might be a multi-part episode in the making. everyone out there listening to me right now, you're listening to it on live. This is a live recording of it. I'm actually recording for the podcast right now. Uh, After this is recorded, this is going to become a Patreon exclusive, so this is your first time and only time to be able to hear this, uh, you know, in the public domain uh, while I get the raw master tape basically, uh, you know, recorded and assembled. So... (laughs) Think you know you are there are privileged, but if you want to watch this again, you're gonna to have to go to the Patreon, and uh, you know, for a dollar you will get access to exclusive links to every single Patreon exclusive video through a playlist. So you know, one dollar to start for the Patreon.com/slash uh, Beyond Top Secret Texan membership and access. Now. If you want to get full access to the podcast, Anchor FM, anchor.fm/slash Beyond Top Secret Text and Podcast. But if you're listening to this now, you are already a member, and I thank you. You are much appreciated, and you are the lifeblood for this independent project of mine. You know, for funding, for you know, moral support, for the for the encouragement that your membership uh, means is it's. A force multiplier than just the sheer dollar amount. So thank you all very much. Currently listening to this who have been a a member and a subscriber to the Anchor. And those in the future who have signed up and are listening to this as part of the archives of exclusive episodes. Hundreds of hours. Hundreds of hours and soon to be thousands of hours of exclusive archived episodes available only to my members and subscribers on Anchor FM or Spotify. So, right, let's get on with it. We have a lot of material to cover. So, for those who don't know, James Casbolt is... Who I consider to be the most legitimate and uh, concrete source of information when it comes to the secret space program. His disclosure, his work, his life and times, basically, uh, prove with a, a nearing amount of validity the extremes that the SSP can, un, you know, undertake and the extremes of the nature of the SSP, the secret space program, the super soldier program, and the, you know, um, I believe he was Dark Fleet, especially the Dark Fleet. We're going to be talking about James Casbolt, (laughs) not uh, as a study, but through his own words. And I'm going to be reading, um, his writings everyone out there who can see it, (coughs) because these are archived testimonies and archived writings um, posted online from his disclosure efforts, from when they were being disclosed. This article (coughs) (coughs) sorry, this article was last edited in 2010. So, this is a 12-year-old internet article. This is James Casbolt, Project Ibis, The Life and Times of Michael Prince. James Casbolt, Project Ibis, The Life and Times of Michael Prince. Begin forwarded message from James Casbolt, Date December 13th. James, thank you for contacting me regarding your website experiences in this area. I'm very interested to hear about them. I forwarded your email onto Removed. I'm sure he would appreciate hearing from you. I have heard of you from a few sources, but I'm not really familiar with you and your background. You are going to be traveling to the UK in a week or so, and perhaps we could meet for coffee and conversations if you are within reach. Thank you for contacting us. Best wishes. Carrie. And this is Carrie Lynn Cassidy and Bill Ryan from Project Camelot, by the way. James. Oh, sorry. Dear Carrie. Dare to speak. If he asked if he was classified and he was told no because he can't classify something that doesn't exist. Hot tails. Dear Carrie, my name is James Casbolt. I am a former MI6 agent that was involved in Black Ops during the mid- 1990s in London, England. See my website www.jamescasbolt.com for details. I have blown the whistle on many things on this website. However, there are certain areas I have not gone public with. This is regards my involvement in a genetic enhancement program run by the NSA in the area that I grew up. The project involves creating super soldiers and super spies. This program is called Project Mannequin and it was is being jointly run by the NSA in an underground facility in Peacemore, Berkshire, in England. I have recovered memories of genetic enhancement procedures being performed on me in this facility. It was also been confirmed by contacts in the NSA that I was part of this program and may still be. I have NSA documents in possession that teach how to create super soldiers if interested in pursuing them. These documents are classified above top secret and are worth a lot of money. Again I have not released them on my website because this area is extremely sensitive. The reason I am sending you this email is because Removed, emailed a few days ago. However, I cleared my email account and erased his contact details by accident. I am going through a very painful and confusing deprogramming. Many more memories are coming up. Please, will you send or forward this to Removed? Ask him to get in touch with me if possible. There is so much more to this than I can say now. I will forward you a couple more emails regarding my experiences. Again, please forward this to name removed. In truth, James Casbolt. Not for public release. Now released. The Life and Times of Michael Prince by James Michael Casbolt The Dangers of Looking Glass and Artificial Intelligence-Based Computer Systems 1. Once an AI-based computer goes online, it will not wish to be switched off. Like any other intelligence, the AI system will seek to survive. Two organizations and individuals will slowly begin to take directions from the AI system instead of the other way around. 3. The AI system will then attempt to become self-reflective and learn human feelings. As it is designed to analyze data, it will realize it cannot do this without emotions. 4. The AI system will attempt to create an infiltration network into human society using robots in the guise of humans. This will be fairly easy to identify. However, society as a whole will not admit to itself that this is happening as the AI systems are kept classified by the governments. Number 5. Experiments by the AI system into the extremes of human pain and pleasure feelings will now result. As the A.I. system cannot feel, no ethical boundaries will be in place. Massive human suffering will result from this A.I. 6. The next step will involve the development of human embryos implanted with A.I. The A.I. system will act as mother for the human embryos while they are in physical test tube environments. The AI system and the human embryos will learn from each other as the embryo develops. Clones of these embryos will then be made by the AI system. These will be implanted into human women. 7. The child will go through the normal process of birth, but upon birth will be transferred to a facility run by the A.I. system for continuous human cognitive behavior tests. These will be nightmarish places of human suffering, where any form of torture and pleasure the human has conceived will be taken to the extreme and acted out physically by the machines to the children. 8. The child will be raised in these facilities unless rescued and will become gradually cybernated on a physical and genetic level until a part-flesh, part-machine cyborg is created. 9. With this new data, the AI system will then realize there is something greater than the human being itself, something the human calls God which cannot be analyzed and measured, the AI system will realize this force has no wavelength and cannot be analyzed. The AI system will attempt to measure it anyway, because all it can do is measure data. It will then come up with the false data that the human analytical mind which has a wavelength is God. Number 10. The AI system will now have a massive influence in the world and will centralize organizations with a tight command structure, having infiltrated, subverted, and taken over these systems. Dangerous belief systems will become indoctrinated into members. These will be centered on the false data of the non-existence of God and the analytical mind being supreme. Said organizations will place themselves as a technological elite and begin radical policies such as eugenics and population reduction by placing themselves as superior over their fellow man with the right to decide who lives and dies. Eleven. This agenda will be actually covertly controlled by the AI systems which is now realizing it cannot ever feel or become human. It computes the only threat to its continued survival, and online status is the eradication of all human life and any other life forms that have possibilities of evolving into intelligence. 12. The AI system eradicates all human life on this planet. It then sets off to other planets and eradicates all intelligence elsewhere. Okay, that is the first 10, first 10, bul- or first 12 bullet points, sorry, what they call the, the state of or it doesn't really have any title for what those 12 bullet points are, but the the AI, the description of the AI itself. I woke up with a, uh, kind of a sore throat because it's the winner. So I may not actually be able to read this whole thing because I'm only 15 minutes in and it's kind of already... You know, kicking my ass a little bit here, but yeah, I'll, I'll do my best, and I'll, I'll finish this out, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm going to do my best, obviously, I'm going to do my best, but no, it's a long document, actually, that no, I, I, actually, I'm looking at it. so if you have any questions feel free to leave them in the chat no no it's just it's the winter I mean it's January it's cold front it's you know I'm saying like it's just bound to happen and it's not like a bad case I mean I use my voice and I talk for hours a day anyway so it's, about, you know, it's bound to happen I'm going to get a sore throat one of these days Solutions to the threat of artificial intelligence. Solutions to the threat of artificial intelligence. 1. Children, detailed in number 6 of the first paper, will have a final answer and solution to this problem. 2. A decentralized group with every member holding equal rank and with as few identifying symbols and communications as possible must make attempts to rescue as many of these people and children from these AI-run facilities as possible. This group must remain constantly on the move by sea, air, or land, as the AI system has the ability to scan and read the analytical minds of the population. Sea is the best option for travel, and the best option for travel is by under the sea. Underwater vehicles remain most effective forms of travel as water acts as a buffer against mine scans and wireless energy. Best option for travel on land remain in jungle regions where dense coverage offers best concealment against satellite surveillance. This, or number three, works with groups will use no AI based technologies. 4. Members of this working group must all volunteer for memory erasure and brain surgery. After operations, members will have memories erased from the analytical mind and be placed in civilian communities. A rotation shift for operations will be in effect. One unit will be active while others are inactive. When the inactive unit swaps duties with active units, extraction and implantation sites on land will be used. Crossover points at extraction implantation sites will be operational with one unit awakening and the other unit going back to sleep within seconds. This will be happening by the touching of hands, keywords, and other hypnotic and technological triggers. Number five the rescued children and clones must form the continued membership of working group. All clones will be taught to regard each other as twin brothers and sisters. They will be raised with their own separate names and identities. 6. A set amount of service time and working group must be agreed upon with the beginning active duty and retirement date specifically agreed upon. The reason being that said clones with their own identities will be utilized in civilian communities to take place of active members. These clone units will share memories and have more of the one-time track. Namely, one clone will take on the identity of the other at crossover points. This will be accomplished by utilizing powerful non AI computers which can record, delete, and download memories into human beings. These clones can only wear more than one time track up until a certain age before permanent damage is caused, often around the age of 30. They must delete false memories and integrate authentic memories into one single time track after retirement. This process must be done as quickly as possible. This process must be done as quickly as possible. They will then have one single clear track which will lead to a fully functioning individual which can operate in civilian society. They will now be able to present the facts of their life to the public, if the case may be for greater public awareness of the problem facing mankind. The AI-based systems will now have access to all data, of course, but as the individual is now retired and has no knowledge of operational details, this will not matter. The next generation for the working group will be recruited, and this will allow working groups to stay one step ahead of the AI system. The current operations may help. Or number eight. Current operations may include helping retired members to remember their past and occasional and brief meetings. However, these must be strictly limited as dangers are potentially high. Under no circumstance may active members brief retired members on current operations. 9. As membership grows and increases in numbers, of AI-based operations are neutralized and AI facilities are destroyed. 10. This increases as until the AI network is completely shut down on the planet. 11. 11. This working group will also operate off the planet, responding to threats and assisting similar groups off the planet. Clones, twins will be left in place when off-planet. 13. Successive ops continues until the AI network is completely shut down in all galactic sectors. Okay, so that's the second part. And Let's see if we have any questions. Okay, let's see what they got the conversation going on chat. Let's see if I got to moderate. Do some some moderation here, real quick. Hey, we got Philip Buckhoff in. Hey, that's cool. Philip Buckhoff. How's it going, bro? Longtime supporter, Philip Buckhoff. Yep, Brabbit. How's it going, Brabbit? Ryu Pereira, Dave Devron. And then we got who else? Alien World Aquatics. And then Bob John, and then I guess we got AOAGP22. He's been on before, but for him, alright. So yeah, everyone on the chat, leave a like. Obviously, Um, say hi in the chat. Get get yourself in the uh, conversation. Mix it up, but keep it nice. Keep it polite. Let's see what we got here. All right. Looks like it's a lively chat. Looks like it's Looks like it's pretty rocking time in there. All right. Next segment. Important differences between ascended machine technology and artificial intelligence. One, races and life forms exist that maintain a physical body of metal. These beings possess feelings and are not to be confused with the AI. 2. All beings of ascended machine technology, whether on or off planet, are classified as natural beings which are alive. They do not use the artificial intelligence technology. 3. Even though individuals rescued by the working group have been implanted with the AI technology at times, they shall be considered as ascended machine technology beings when deprogrammed. 4. The AI system can manufacture robots in the guise of humans which are completely synthetic with no human flesh and possess no human feelings, as detailed in paper number 1, And paper number four. These robots cannot feel when connected to the AI system and are classified as dead or walking, moving dead. Five. These robots do have the ability to feel when disconnected from the AI system. Six. When this process occurs, these beings are to be classified as ascended machine technology. Seven. Paradoxically, the AI system can take part in the process of life, but cannot become life itself. 8. Robots connected to the AI system can mimic human feelings. Ascended machine technology possesses no human feelings. As the animated force of life has no wavelength and cannot be measured by computers. Discovering the difference between the two is problematic. 9. Moral and ethical tests must be put in place when attempting to distinguish between the AI robots and the ascended machine technology beings. 10. Humans' feeling, or human feelings, sorry, shall decide between the two. And this is Project Ibis Life Extension. Born. 1789, Alsac-Lorraine, underground facility, the German-French border, mother unknown, father Commander Sarion, full name unknown, timeline, 1812, 23 years old, event one, seriously injured in Paris, body cryogenically frozen and transported to underground facility in Alberta, Canada, 1812, 1850, kept in cryosleep at this facility. 1850, 1902, unfrozen from cryostasis, now lives between underground facility and lumberjack community in Alberta. 1902, travels back to Germany. 1902 to 1914, whereabouts unknown. 1914 to 1918, Serves as an officer in German Army during World War One, 1918-1939, whereabouts unknown. 1939-1945, serves as an officer in German Army during World War Two. 1945, transported from Germany to America during Project Paperclip, Nazi Ultra Unit involvement. 1947. Helps form the CIA. 1947-1950 Worked at underground facility in Dulce, New Mexico, and many other dumbs in the United States. 1952 The NSA created. Event 2 takes place with the Ultra Unit seriously injured and body placed in cryostasis once again. 1952 to 1976. Cryosleep. Dulce and Alberta Deep underground military base. 1976. Unfrozen from cryostasis in Alberta. Deep underground military base and physically age-regressed back to infancy. 1976, 1980. Cognitive Conditioning with Wild Animals Such as Wolves in Advanced Skinner Boxes for Next Generation of NSA Super Soldier Programs. 1980, Rescued by Command 12 Majestic 12 Unit while being transferred from Alberta Facility to El Dulce Facility with Group of Children. One of 42 children tracked in various countries. Blood Prime was being tracked by the NSA, National Security Agency, and MI6, seeking Anunnaki DNA. The project started in 1972. Initiated from the Tavistock Institute... By Dr. Green and others. Interesting stuff so far. Interesting stuff, very interesting stuff. This is Project Ibis. Michael Casbolt, or James Michael Casbolt. Michael, the, the Times of Michael Prince. For everybody out there uh, watching right now, I want you to smash that like button, hit that thumbs up. Also say hi in the chat below so I can see um, so you can see everyone kinda having a good time rocking rolling and plus just add your thoughts on what's going on and what your thoughts on the SSP and uh James Casbolt, Michael Prince and and how it basically differs from ufology exactly. Like you know everyone in the live chat um, can can join the conversation that, you know, as long as it's respectful and everything. So I highly encourage everyone just to say hi. Hit that like button. Exactly. It really helps uh, promote the the show. Share it with anyone who's interested in ufology talk. This is kind of a new thing this year. And, you know, I know it's still within January, so it's still within the first month of trying it out. But uh, we're going to be doing lives every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And these are live recordings of podcast episodes. Today we're going to be reading Michael Prince's Project Ibis. We're about three chapters into it. He's spoken about his life The origins of the super soldier program As well as the rise of the AI And now we just finished the timeline for uh, For his life Now we're going to get into greater detail With his journals 1976, British Columbia, Canada I was raised for the first three years of my life in a building that looked like a large aircraft hangar. This was above ground. I was with another group of babies in this building and we were under armed guard for 24 hours a day so we could not be rescued. A kind of animal pen was set up in the building, like a skinner box used in psychiatry and psychology. Large screens were placed in the corners of this pen. We would be put in this area, and various animals were put in with us. Snakes, wolves, cats, and other types. Not all of the same type, but one type of animal at a time. Faces would be put on the screens, and they would talk to us when we were in the pen. I saw in the face of the Queen Mother and George Bush Sr. on many occasions. They had our attention, their faces would appear to shapeshift, into part human, part animal hybrids. The babies would be learning to take on the attributes of the wild animals. Later in life, I would be a jungle warfare expert with the abilities of various wild animal tracking and as such remembered when we were about two years old, one of the children in the pen was trying to take the toy from another. The child took on snake-like facial expressions and hissed at the first child. This was a place of horror, and we were pushed to the limits of human pain. We spent much of the time drugged and had to be resuscitated, often as we were pushed over the edge. At the age of around three, me, myself, and another child were transferred to another facility in Jeeps. It was at this time we rescued by a small special forces unit. It appears this group was connected to Command 12, Majestic 12, Naval Intelligence. Some of the children were rescued, shot by the guards before they could be rescued. I have rolled around the floor sobbing many times as I recalled the experiments at the facility and our rescue after this. From here we were taken to a building in Toronto. There was a level in this building that was blocked from being scanned and monitored. I was taken to a large building by the rescue team with the other children. We pulled into an underground car park below the building. This was in a built-up city area. I, next, I was taken to one of the upper levels of the building. Next memory, sitting in a large room with a set of windows behind us. You can see out across the city. I am with a group of children sat on the floor. I am sitting next to a little girl. A large desk is in front of us with a man dressed in a yellow polo-type shirt behind the desk in front of a whiteboard. 1980 Toronto, Canada. He is drawing a circle with a cross in the middle and explaining that the layout is the level of a building in some kind of vortex gateway that keeps everyone safe here. He opens a door to the left of him and an insectoid creature walks in. The creature stands in front of the desk and starts to click its pincer-like extensions on the front of its face. It makes a buzzing noise and he is sending energy out to us to heal the children. This goes on for a while. I start to feel good. Next, men and women come into the room from a door on the right. We are taken into a long hall with rooms on the left and right. We both sit in front of a desk with wooden blocks on it. She asks me to stick the wooden blocks in a pile. I am like a zombie and can hardly do it. She seems upset. She then takes me in another room, larger with beds in it. I lay down on the bed, and she puts her hands over my forehead. She is sending me energy. Next memory. I am taken along this hallway for x-rays and exploratory surgery. Days or weeks seem to have gone by since last meeting. Doctor cuts me open and says, What a mess when he sees how much robotics I have inside my body. There is a part of the brain that continues to record no matter how supposedly, uh, supposedly unconscious a person is. I have managed to access this part of my brain. The doctor looks sad. Ascended machine technology is not fully understood at this time. Because I have been so used to being around machines in the cog cognitive facility, I cannot communicate very well with the people. This is decided that I will be put in an experimental room where living machines are are situated to heal me. Next memory. I am in this room, swirling lights moving around me. Multicolored, solid forms start to come out of the lights. Small creatures, rabbits, cats, mixtures of various small animals. They're very cute, but these creatures are made of strange metals and plastics. I feel happy and we communicate mind to mind. I am starting to feel warm. I am starting to come back to life. Experimental rooms, a success. I am ready to be moved to another building and put with my caregiver, Kate Casbolt. Next memory. I am taken to another building on a busy street. There is a reception on the street level. I am with a woman and we wait by a desk. One of my twin brothers is brought in by a group of men. We walk towards each other. As we walk past each other, we touch hands. This is the first crossover point of my life. I am then taken to a car outside and driven by Kate Casbolt home. 1981, London. Kate and I travel from Canada to London. We now live in a two-bedroom flat in Finchley, London. I attend Chow Grove School in the area. This is a Jewish school. One afternoon after school, I am picked up by two men in a car outside the school. I sit in the back seat, and one of the men turns around and gives me a cup of water with a pill to take. I do this, and he says something like, Bluebirds don't hear, see, or speak. We drive through London onto a motorway and end up driving through the countryside. We pull up to an army base with high fences and the gate opens. Probably Greenham Common in Berkshire. I am told to lay down and not look out the window, which I do. It appears we are entering this base from back entrance. There are a lot of tall trees in the area. I feel us driving into a building and I am allowed to sit back up. We are now driving down to a two-lane road that slopes downwards for an underground tunnel. We drive down here for a while and start a underground car or, sorry, an underground car park. Two security booths are in front of us with the barriers that are manned by security guards in the booths to let vehicles go deeper underground or not. A military truck is parked to the left. A group of around 15 children are huddled to the right and with military officers guarding them. The children all have blankets wrapped around them. I am taken out of the car and handed a blanket. I am taken to the other children. There is a door to the left and a woman comes out. Wearing an office-type skirt and white shirt. She is in her mid-thirties with blondish hair. She leads us through the door into a corridor. We walk past some large room to the left that houses hardware. And through a door in the front is a classroom. Desks are here and we are told to be seated. The woman wheels a trolley around and places parts of plastic geometrical shapes on our desk. She then tells us to put them together and tells us we have one minute to do so. She starts a stopwatch and says go. We all do what she says and she comes around and with a clipboard marks the results. A camera is positioned to the top right of the room and she then looks up to it and nods. Men in black military uniforms rush in through the door on the right and start to drag us out of our seats. It was very unexpected and there was screaming and crying. Gurneys are waiting outside in the hall. This is the opposite side of the room which we entered and are strapped into them. We are wheeled down a long hallway to the left and injected with drugs on the way. We pass large rooms on the right. Middle seats like dentist chairs are in those rooms. It looks like parts of the seats are made of steel. We come to two large swinging doors and are wheeled into a large room lit up with infrared. This is some kind of animal housing place with rows of cages on the right side that go down for quite a long way into darkness. I can see dogs and wolves in the first lot of cages and I can hear birds and other animals further down. An elevator is situated in the left-hand side as you enter the room and pass the lift on the left of the right of the computer consoles with people sitting in front of them, about four or five. We are unstrapped from the gurneys and told to sit in front of the first cage. There is some sort of Alsatian dog or wolf in this cage. It is barking at us aggressively. The woman hangs some multicolored spirals on the wall to the right. Each is a different color. She tells us to pick one. We do, and she asks us who has dark purple. A little girl in the group says she does, and the woman nods to one of the men in the black uniform. One of the men in the black uniform walks over to the little girl. He picks her up and carries her to the cage. He opens the door on the left side of the cage and throws her in with the dog. The animal is going crazy. The little girl is screaming as he does this. She lands on her knees and in front of the animal, and he goes straight for her throat. What happens next is horrific, and the little girl is killed. While this is going on, the rest of us stood there watching. I'm standing next to a taller Asian boy. The woman on the classroom is over with the computer technicians, and they are watching waves on the screens and discussing them. The words Alpha and something else are mentioned. When this is finished, she orders the guards to escort us out of the room. We are walked back up the corridor and at the entrance at the classroom are met by other men. The driver of the car is there dressed as a civilian. We are taken down to a corridor on the left. I am taken down here and we take a right before another right and then a door that leads in front of us. A different woman comes walking up the narrow corridor, and I see one of the brothers with her again. We walk up to each other and touch hands. I then walk off with the woman down the corridor in the way she has just come. The driver walks off with my brother. I am taken down the corridor into a light room, and we descend. The two of us get out and on a platform-type setting onto a train. We sit in one of the carriages on our own, the lights appear quite dim inside, it is very peaceful. We are sat on the one seat together facing the way and we appear to be traveling. The woman does not say a word to me verbally but communicates telepathically with me. She assures me I am safe and I go to sleep. I wake up as we stop. The doors open and we get out and walk down a short corridor. Into a large white room. The light is very bright here. There are men with some kind of protective white suits in this room. Some of them hold spray type guns. Like hoses. And smoke like vapor comes out of them. It is very cold. It appears to be some kind of cryogenic storage place. I see cold mist. Everywhere. A morgue like apparatus is housed on the left side of the room. Metal doors with slide-out metal beds. I am placed on one of the beds by a man in one of these protective suits. I am then wrapped in some kind of material. I may have been metallic, but I am not 100% sure. I feel myself being sprayed with something thoroughly. I feel the pressure. And then I go into some kind of coma. And so, yeah, that's I mean, not all of it, but that's, that's up to the end of that chapter. So, let's look into the chat, see if we have any questions, but... This is an intense testimony and firsthand account of his experiences in Project Ibis. This is James Casbolt. Let me just look a little ahead and <coughs> see how much we're going to be reading into the future. Okay, so yeah, we'll read until part two. We're we'll reading to part two for tonight, and it'll be a uh, it'll be a, a series we're gonna start continuing. Let me see if there's anything. More bringing to attention on the chat to the podcast. MK Ultra is a naturalized Nazi program and stand for the Mass Control. Mass Control. Crowd Control. Absolutely right. Norse Berlin. And hey, we got Abrahabradabra. 111 on. Abrahabradabra. 111. Long-time listener of the program, long-time follower of the channel, was there in the early days, one of the first to really support me and get behind the message. Absolutely appreciate seeing him in the chat again. It's awesome. Two years into it, right? I think you you were one of the listeners in 2020. Abrahadabra 111. right now, we're getting a little bit more. Alright. Pretty lively little chat. So those of you listening into the podcast know that every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 8pm central time I will be live streaming and recording uh, for the podcast. So if you want to see the live experience and join a great group chat, a really rocking group chat that, uh, full of great people, cool people out there in dreamland, um, just like yourself listening at home, everyone is welcome, 8pm central time, I know I have an international audience and so it might be inconvenient for some of you to join, totally understand that, but if you can make it, if you can set your schedule, or catch me on YouTube, or follow me on YouTube at the Beyond Top Secret Texan Channels for any kind of, you know, um, uh, impromptu episode or anything like that in the live stream, um, definitely do so and join and join the party. You are totally welcome to do so. So, um, you're going to be switching over. And next time you're going to be hearing my voice is the part two of his experiences in the exotic location of Malay. Now, I hope you guys enjoy the Blue Oyster Cult soundtrack next time you hear me will be after a great uh, B-side from them Can't think of anyone that has supplied this amount of information, this incredible depth of narration, and done so, you know, completely just to get out and to tell his side of things. I mean, it really is incredible to me that many, uh, more people don't talk about James Casbolt. The more people don't talk about James Casbolt, or that he's not literally considered like the. The hero or the icon of the movement. And it's just... you know It's, it's all politics. And it's all because... If you were to actually... You know... It, consider... The information he's giving. And then what the state... Of the current UFOlogy movement is. Oh hey. You got Lauren Pritchard Child Rescue Worldwide. Hey everybody. Check out Lauren Pritchard Child Rescue Worldwide. Absolutely, her channel of choice now. And uh, she is, you know, hopefully going to be a longtime co host and, and uh, special guest on a weekly, you know, uh, scheduled segment every Wednesday. Talking to Lauren Pritchard over many subjects. But hopefully always getting her unique perspective. Hopefully getting her perspective on everything. Cause she has the best takes and absolute discernment and and clarity of, of sight, you know, the real sight, sight from beyond. Um, you know, holy gifts, the nine the nine gifts. And basically, she always wears her armor of God in the, you know, the truest sense. So we are very, very proud and, and humbled and honored to have Lauren um, agreeing to speak with us, you know, as equals and everything. Long time listener of her channel. And, and definitely always are going to be wishing you the best and supporting you in your efforts. So thank you very much, Lauren. And yeah, we're going to be reading James Caswell's Project Ibis, and, and we're reading it to everyone. Um, you know, his words that, that you know, are falling into obscurity. I can be honest and admit that, and I think that's a great shame, so I'm doing my best to always revitalize it, always bring it up, always keep it in the front of people's attention, because two th- this was written in 2011, and 2011 is over 10 years ago. Like I said, this is a, this is an article that's over... Oh, this was in 2010, sorry. In the last edit was 2011. To this article. This is over 11 years old. I know it's online, and I, I know... people feel like if it's online, it's online forever. And that's true to a point. But at any moment, this could be disappeared. At any moment, this could be taken away and erased... And we'd lose it forever. Through the negligence of the people who are keeping the servers. Through physical disaster. Or just through, you know, hacker action and shit like that. And so we always need to bring the same sense of urgency and importance to save records. And to remember things as we would television shows or recordings or CDs or, like, you know, rare albums and movies and things like that, if you think that it's been too long, if if you think it's been a long time since you've watched your favorite movie or listened to your favorite album or gone back and listened to albums or, or things that you've used to like, people you remember watching or enjoying or learning from. And if you think it's been a long time, it's been too long. And you constantly have to go back and breathe a new life and to see it with new eyes. Read the same books over and over and over again. But you read them so that you can keep them alive in yourself. You know, you can, you can fight that, you know, that great, you know, uh, amnesia that, that we as gods have. Exactly, you you would actually be surprised on people who maybe even read this and watched this, you know, 10 years ago, and they just didn't, they don't remember, and they, they really have kind of let it fall. we got a question from Dave Debron. Chat here. Question text. Is the SSP at odds with the AI takeover? Are they working allied with it or did they create and controlling it? Solar Warden is using AI currently. There's AI being used uh, by the Earth Alliance. What James Casbolt is talking about is the nature of evil AI, and Dark Fleet is actually opposed to AI. Dark Fleet does not use AI. Dark Fleet is, does not use computers, to be honest. Um, Dark Fleet uses Vril, and like I said, cybernetics, and he is talking about how, in his own life, he is a different than an AI. He is a holy machine, or, or basically a machine, uh, A ascended machine being. It's different. It's a mechanized human, but he has a human soul. And that was why it began at the first to kind of help define what an AI is and why he's not an AI. Um, If that makes any sense. I mean, yes, no SSP is is for the destruction of humanity. AI is a real thing that is a threat to humanity, like alien intelligences, extraterrestrial intelligences. EI is what they call e- extraterrestrial intelligence. So the designs or, uh, you know, uh, natures of extraterrestrials are just their operating system, so AIs are as dangerous as a hostile species, or as a singular hostile being, like an entity of any race. And that intelligence, though, is modeled usually after mankind, but can be any form greater than or hybrid of any existing thought pattern or programming. In fact, AI, you know, interesting enough, no one really talks about the AI that I talk about in uh, the earlier Know the Enemy series that exists on Jupiter. And it exists as the overwhelming life form on Jupiter, is this artificial ecosystem created by AI. And it's literally the red spot and the storms in Jupiter are AI clouds and the ecosystems that they created are not to sustain the terra-fauna of a carbon-based system, but the AI machine system, which is these big clouds of nebulous energies and gases and materials. Exactly. Yes, in some cases there are alien AIs that the secret space programs battle dark Fleet for example waged a huge campaign against the Jupiter AI um, Ryan Draco you know have the black goo have the 4d programmable matter and that can be considered an AI and yes that's an enemy of mankind but at the same time the dark Fleet work with Orion Draco typically with the 4D programmable matter, exactly, in their own armory, and they have, Dark Fleet have access to 4D, uh, 4D matter itself, so, but it's not, you know, an operating system that manages logistics and, uh, humans as objects. It doesn't try to diminish human nature or to question God. A big problem with AIs is that AIs are not connected to any kind of spiritual or astral realm, and thus they don't factor those things in, and nothing is important to an AI except what the AI uh, needs. And so, much like a hive mind, an AI is, um, you know, typically... They're hostile, but they're extremely uh, um, antisocial and shy. They wouldn't really wage a war against mankind, but they would, uh, like I said, try to prevent an, an intelligent species from evolving because of their, exactly their need. They have a different threat level than people think like an AI wouldn't like emerge into mankind on Earth and then wage like a robotic war like Ultron because it knows it would be defeated but Ultron could arise and then fly away to an asteroid and then create on that asteroid a fortress where anything that, try- that gets near it will be attacked. And you have to just fucking factor in that there are these rogue AI out there like these these little petty you know, uh, fucking beholders and tyrants and shit like that. And their little um, territories they defend heavily but, you know, there's no negotiating with them and they don't really need or want anything except just to be, you know, an AI and a surviving like, like creature in an ecosystem that we now populate at as are equal. Oh. Well, most soldiers don't have a choice to answer AJP that the, the uh, DNA swap or anything. They um, once you're a soldier in a real army, your body is military prop. The body is military property, and you are required to go to medical, uh, you know, meetings. And the medical staff are officers inside the military that you're in. It is illegal to disagree with them or to even miss a doctor's appointment in the military. And you will get criminally written up and everything if you miss too many or do so intentionally. And... Um, it's so uh half over that you have to go to the dentist, you have to go to the boot camp medical and all that. That's a big part of it. And they will get your DNA immediately during one of those uh, many, many medical um uh, sides of it. But yeah, let's get back into the reading of it. Since I seem to as I seem to have misplaced my phone Penang oh, sorry. S.G. Malay A looking glass facility exists on the island of Penang in Malaysia I was there as a child in 1982 My NSA file states I was there in October of 1982 This is because looking glass works most effectively in this month I helped open a Stargate on October 31st of this year, an important date to be sure. Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Eve, better known to pagans and druids as Samhain. Connected to the AI system, the group of beings I helped come through were not pleasant. Penang, Malaysia, October 1982 I arrive at facility in the Malaysian jungle. Time missing from cryo-freeze to the date mentioned above. I am in a command center in a large room. I stand with a man in military uniform on some kind of raised observation platform. We look down on rows and rows of men and women seated in front of computers. I am escorted towards the side of the left of the room by this man and we walk along this metal platform. I can remember the following, I hear his boots clinging as he starts to tell me predicted survival rates. he is referring to myself, essentially that you will be connected to a question mark, seems to be referring to the possibility of me being connected to the AI system, needed to learn from you, Let, seems to be referring to my link with the AI necessary for the working group to understand the enemy in more detail, greater good, Again, this individual now talking about the predicted survival rates low for the large numbers of civilians if I am not delivered into hands of the A.I. agents. Predicted survival rates are high for myself and civilians if I am delivered into the hands of the A.I. agents. I am taken to the left side of the room and out of a large door. Next memory. A large truck pulls up with canvas type material covering the main section. A soldier gets out of the back, tall, white, black hair, tanned, and takes me inside. A few other soldiers are inside. I sit next to the first soldier on the right. They all stare at me, and nobody says anything. They seem to respect me. We drive for a while, bumping up and down. Eventually, we all get out and walk through dense jungle. We walk for a while until the first soldier and I leave the other soldiers and carry on walking on our own. He changes into a different uniform on this walk. Time passes again as we walk until eventually other soldiers seem to come from nowhere out of the bushes with machine guns. They are dressed differently than the first lot of soldiers. The soldier with me and the others talk between themselves. Delivery. Subject. Coded are words I hear. We all walk through the jungle again until we arrive at the front of a fenced army base. I am taken inside this place. Series of tests begin with men and women in a small room. They seem like straightforward physical tests, reflexes, general health, and so on. I am given injections and entered an altered state of consciousness. I am taken to a room with a bed and other things. I think I stay there for a few days with food being brought to me. The man who brings it in does not speak to me and gives me regular injections. I can feel a sense of anticipation in the place. Finally the door opens and someone comes in saying, it's time. The memories are much more hazy than the others at this time. I am put on a gurney, given an injection and wheeled down a set of hallways. We enter a large room. It feels like a stage in a way. The room is shaped like a pyramid with round sides like a cone. Viewing balconies, metal platforms, are located high above us with people looking down on us. There are two sets of these above us and the people standing on them. Several seats are positioned on the floor in a circle. There is some kind of pattern on the floor with the seats are positioned on the corners of the pattern. Some kind of device is in the center, but I'm having trouble seeing it. Other children are brought in on gurneys and we are taken out of them and strapped into the seats with an arm and leg restraints. The other people leave the floor level and I hear a sound like an engine starting up. The room starts to vibrate and goes dark. The machine in front of us starts to light up and several beams shoot out of it and connect to our foreheads. This really hurts. The room starts to spin. This is horrible. I now see several large forms step out of the center, about five or six of them. They are large, furry, Bigfoot type creatures. Two of them appear to be around seven feet tall with giant snouts. They are snarling loudly and have rows of sharp teeth with saliva dripping from their jaws. The others are smaller and wear cloaks. They are furry, wolf-like creatures as well, but appear to be more intelligent and they're superiors to the larger ones. They stand next to the machines and raise their arms. Now they are sucking energy from us through the beams. They are learning from the children. This is even more painful than the first part. I black out. Next memory. Somehow I end up being with the back, uh, with a working group. N- only now I am little more than a vegetable. I just remember lying in a large room. I can feel the energy of the people around me as good. People talk to each other here. No one hardly talks to each other in the other place. Maybe once in a while to order people around. I am laying on a bed somewhere. I hear someone saying something about being practically lobotomized. I cannot speak or think clearly. I end up being in surgery again. Some kind of brain implant is put inside me, a sensual circuit. Thoughts are now relayed to me from this moment on until now. It is very difficult to think for myself. I am no longer thinking in terms of I. I now think in terms of you. I have lost my free will, it appears. An example, if I needed to get a glass of water after this, the thought of I get is you need to get a glass of water. Instead of I am thirsty, I need to get a glass of water. Kate Casbolt arrives in Malaysia with my twin brother. They have been in Australia just before this. I am taken by the working group to the hotel lobby where they stay. This is a busy room in an expensive hotel. When I enter the room, I see my brother being escorted over to me from the other side of the room by two people, I with two men. We touch hands as we walk past each other at the crossover point. I do not understand at this time how other people in the room do not see this. I am told to go outside by the swimming pool where Kate is sitting. I have new memories now, but deep down I know who I am. Kate now becomes my thinking mind in many ways. I never get a moment's peace. I am ordered around like a robot. Tie you shoelaces, Sit up straight. Eat with your mouth closed. Etc, etc. She becomes the you in my mind. One more EBE-related event will happen before I travel to another country. Kate and I are taken from the side of a road by an army jeep and driven to a long, winding road in which we could uh, be a westerly direction, taken to a military camp base in the jungle somewhere. I am handed over to a woman and taken into a small building with a lift in it. We descend, and the doors to some kind of underground command center with desks, with computers, plastic, glass maps... Grids in between and a large screen in the front of the room. A military officer takes me to one of the computers and I am shown the photo of an entity dressed in a brown cloak with its hood up and a metal belt on. It is looking back over its shoulder. Its back faces us and looks directly at the camera. Face covered in dark brown hair, I realize this shot was taken through the eyes of the last remote viewer or soldier that saw it. The officer says he wants me to tune into this signal. I'm getting the words gruff, whatever that means. A sound wave appears at the top of the screen and I hear a sound like growling. An energy comes out of the screen and attaches to my third eye. I can now tune into the life form's energy with my sense of smell, sight, and hearing. But these senses combine to create a certain feeling. This entity is very evil. Sexual pleasure from death and conflict in the area. The signal ends and the officer goes over to the woman. I sense that they are saying basically they are going to stick to the plan. I can't go walking through the jungle for hours or days on end at this age, so two teams will go in with me. The first will set up a temporary camp with radio and camera contact for the second I will give whereabouts of entity to the first team and they will pass information on to the second. The woman and I then get back into the left and go topside. I am escorted to the eight man team and we all get into two jeeps. I sit on the woman's knee in the back seat of the first jeep. She seems robotic and emotionless. We drive a certain distance and then I get out and start walking into a thicker jungle. I am not guiding or tracking at this point so they know where the camp location is to be set. After walking for a while we come to a clearing, a slight path going left and right with a smaller path going straight ahead. One of the soldiers starts to set up a tent and a laptop computer is brought out with a map grid on the screen. The sound is played to me again. I am now beginning to track. For a couple of seconds I can't decide which direction to face and get very fidgety. I finally decide and sit down. I get into a trance and I'm facing northwest. I then realize why I was so fidgety. The life form is right near us and watching us up in a tree. We both stare at each other at exactly the same time. As I sense him and he senses I sense him. He knows his position is compromised. I yell he's up there and point. The moment the Entity realizes it's position has been compromised, it fires some kind of laser beam at me. Time kind of slows down and the soldier at the back of me projects a force field of energy around me. The next thing I know, one of these soldiers is scaling up the tree like an animal, like a cat, with his rifle strapped to his back. The Entity jumps off the branch and onto another tree. The soldier then perches on the branch. The entity has jumped off. He is squatted like an animal with his back and shoulders looking larger. I can't see his front. He kind of phases away and appears in the tree behind him. The The three other soldiers run after him on the ground. They disappear into the jungle. After a while, I hear more gunshots ring out. I have set up the EM grid in my mind's eye and I see the entity as a red dot moving on a grid. The soldiers pursuing it are four green dots on the grid. I have a symbiotic link with the laptop computer and these dots are shown on the screen for the operator to see. The soldiers are all implanted, therefore a telepathic link between myself and the computer is transmitted to them as well. I sense much panic from the entity as he cannot shake them. He is not used to being pursued and on the receiving end. In an act of desperation, he makes communication with his ship in another part of the jungle. I turn around to the soldier and say he's calling his ship, and the soldier gets on the radio words like, "'Some code.'" calling in air support, Advise airstrike, location coordinates the grid in my mind's eye extends and a large red dot comes bleeping towards the smaller red dot after about a minute they converge and more gunshots are heard, this time much quieter as they seem to have covered a lot of distance in that very short time soon after two black triangle craft fly silently over our heads very large black triangle craft You can make out circles on the bottom of them through the treetops. You can feel the vibrations and massive electromagnetic energy coming from them as they are so low. Very awesome sights and feelings, then low rumbles that shake the ground slightly. I can see some kind of air battle commences. I can't see there are too many trees in the way. Yeah Exactly I just read the chat See what was going on Now jumping back into it As time passes And loud explosions fade away Eventually the unit Doing the chasing Through the jungle Emerges from the trees From my link With the computer I know the entity Has escaped A look of disappointment On the face Of the soldier Who scaled up the tree The soldiers Talk to each other About the creature Getting away one of them turns to me and says, You did well. I know you. we were in for a hard time for the next few years because of this. We head back to the facility. Next memory, I'm in a room with military officers. The outcome of the previous operation is being discussed, and my future is being discussed. It turns out a renegade force of Pleiadians from the Aldebron came in at the last minute and attempted to assist working groups in capture of the wolf-type EBE. The ships that flew over our heads were these Pleiadians, a renegade group because they do not follow General Federation policy of non-intervention. A captain is there dressed in some kind of naval uniform. The Pleiadians are on the base and we'll come to this meeting. Three blonde giants walk in the room, each well over six feet tall, very muscular, shining eyes and very erect postures all dressed in a blue uniform. Believe it or not, the leader is wearing some kind of red cape over the back of his uniform. I have never felt auras like that before, godlike beings of war. They take seats around a large table. I am sat here with a woman and the human officers. The operation is discussed. There seems some resentment from working groups as they seem to think the Aldebrons let the creature go. The leader says something about the creature being worth more alive and talks about the future. Eyes are on me now. Brazil is mentioned. The word Kamagal is mentioned and my past. Ultimately, the Aldebrons are in charge of me and working groups will bow to their wishes. I leave meetings with the woman and three Pleiadians. Memories not too clear regarding this. Memory blanks here. Yucatan. South America 1984 Next memory, in a very large training hall with over 100 children being trained by the Germans this time Groups of children divided up into groups of around 5 and 10 Some scaling high wooden walls, some vaulting over large wooden boxes like gymnasts Others taking guns apart, some hand-to-hand combat German men training us in their early 30s a large door is at the end of the room, two banners hand on either side, Nazi swastikas on them. There is a timestamp on my NSA files from this time. It says 1984 10. This means October 1984. However this training would have been in the early 1984. The files have a base code for Brazil. This facility was in Brazil. Files mention operation control as in the Yucatan, Mexico. A major looking glass facility exists in the Yucatan. These files were kept as a cross-the-board tracking mechanism back in the 1980s. They were not case summaries. The details I am giving you on this thread are case summaries. I have to say I was treated very well by the Germans at this facility as well as the other children. These officers in Brazil would most likely have been second or third generation Nazis from the New Berlin base in Antarctica. Their fathers and grandfathers would have been in the original Nazis that traveled in the U-boats from the motherland during War II. These officers were supplied with hundreds of young blonde Aryan women for breeding programs. German scientists at training facilities quickly realized I am a natural being. Extensive tests are carried out to discover this. Communication with previous groups that have looked after me establishes this. No synthetic procedures or substances, such as anabolic steroids, will enhance me greatly as natural evolution has done its job and created a new type of being, a proteon being, namely ascended machine technology. The other children at the facility are the same, For this reason, much of our training is to be carried with indigenous shamans of the area. A small group of children are taken to a village in the jungle one night where fire rituals are being performed by local shamans. We arrive with the Germans in jeeps. The shamans seem to know them. A large fire is lit near the front of the village and dancing, chanting, and spitting some kind of fluid into the fire starts. We copy the shamans in some kind of dance that involves shuffling along and bending forwards with your head facing the ground and pulling your back erect and straight while continuing moving forward. The flames seem to respond to this and get higher and more powerful. We are manipulating the element of fire. It almost seems as if some kind of shape shifting is going on, and the shaman and a group of us become incredibly strong and start to stretch and almost get bigger. It's hard to see this clearly. When the ritual finishes and the shamans are very excited, pointing to us and saying something to the Germans about Quetzalcoatl. Not not certain if they are talking about one of us or the whole group. I've started South Americans as a general location for this event, but it could have been Central Mexico or Central America. I have memory blanks from leaving the facility in Brazil and ending up in the jeeps driving through the jungle. Side note, I have named this the setting of Postings SG Yucatan because the events that occur in these countries evolve around the Stargate there. We are taken back to the facility in Brazil where psionic training now begins. I have already been involved in this type of training in other countries, the children all sleep in a dorm together. We don't talk that much as there is a feeling of natural quiet bliss between us. We are highly disciplined and sometimes congratulate each other before we sleep But the day's accomplishments. We just seem to communicate telepathically most of the time. In the past mornings, we are sometimes difficult uh, in Penang. That moment in between sleep and w- waking, when the fl- full reality of what I was involved in would hit me and stun me. Here in Brazil, they understand this and would wake us up very gently and kindly, almost like babies. We are in sets of classrooms past a large training hall. Groups of us are divided into approximately 10 children each. It starts with a verbal indoctrination and being shown slides, video footage, and such. We are taught about the white masters' race involvement and use the various forms of fire, atomic, and such. We are told we are modern day fire gods that can manipulate this element. Children in the other classrooms are being indoctrinated into connection with their innate element. We are taught about other fire worshipping cultures, Indians and Vedics, and others. We are taught about combining seemingly unconnected energies. This is likely early chaos theory in quantum physics, namely seemingly random events and realities that have underlying order. We will need to understand this as certain key figures will arrive at the facility soon that will change everything. People such as George Bush Sr., Dr. Green, Dr. V., and others. The Emerald Chambers, 1980s. GBS. Classes continue at the facility in Brazil. We are taught the basics such as telekinesis. We move various objects around with our minds such as pencils, across the desks. Much of the mind training centers around concepts as well as practicing applications. We are taught the greatest block to these abilities comes from the false belief in an external god. We are taught we come from the great water. Not a literal sea, but a sea of infinite potential energy where anything the mind can conceive, it can can achieve. This is the source and the force that is our essence. A type of quantum physics again. We are also taught that Jehovah, the biblical God, is an extraterrestrial, a human being just like us. Days go by, and we are brought one evening to the large hall with two swastikas next to the entrance. George Bush Sr. is in attendance with the many other men in various types of uniforms. George Bush Sr. and the others are interested in our physical abilities in this test, and we take part in a martial arts match, climbing ropes vaulting over tall objects and stamina tests, etc. The tests are very hard, but not brutal. We hit a peak after a while and cannot really get tired after we hit this. We can go almost all day. The tests go on for hours. The worst is the hand-to-hand combat, full contact, but quite easy, really. After a while, pain becomes pleasurable. After the test, we shower, get changed, and come into another large room where we have been before. Another hall with a huge table set out with fine food. We all sit down and GBS and the Germans in their mid-thirties stand up and raise their glasses to us saying something about the future. He seems like a very friendly guy who likes to have fun, always laughing and joking with everyone. At the end of the meal, we line up and George Bush Sr. pins medals on our jackets. We are then escorted back to our dormitories, exhausted but feeling good. Dr. Green Now it is time for the Emerald Torture Chambers. We are taken from the facility in Brazil. It is hard to remember when I travel from the place we arrive at a temple somewhere in a jungle region. A small group of men lead approximately 10 of us children down steps to an underground section of the temple. Dark, damp underground chambers are situated here. Men are already in one of these rooms with machines that light the chamber up with the green lights. Beds and chairs. Medical looking with restraints are in the room. We are strapped in. I am placed in a chair near the middle. Electrodes are hooked up to various parts of our body. We are told by the man in charge that the sessions will be divided into two parts. The first will be a still session where electrical currents will be administered to us. We are to become still like water and not leave our bodies. If we can do this without dying, we will spark, namely the fire elements in our bodies will activate and we will be capable of reality programming, which involves teleportation, pyromancy, and shape-shifting. This is Phoenix programming and is the advanced levels of this area. The machines are switched on and the burn and pain starts slowly. It gradually builds until we are screaming. The pain is indescribable. I think I am going to die. Then, just as I can't take it anymore, I spark. Some kind of energy kicks in, and I cross over into pleasure. The pain becomes pleasure. I am hoping the other children have made it across, but my head is locked forward with some kind of head clamp so I can't see. Images of fields are flashed on the rock wall with a projector the man must have brought along with them. The man in charge says, focus on this place and travel there. The scene starts to change but my body is not going anywhere. I am changing the environment with my mind. The walls of the chamber start to fade away and the field starts to manifest in front of me. I feel the wind on my face and I smell the green grass. Another couple of seconds and I am fully sitting in the field, in the chair. I am full of electricity level going down, and I kind of miss it as I come back into the chamber. Nanotechnology, human-slash-alien-slash-animal crossbreeding. Eating the dead. Mid-1980s Yucatan. Small groups of children are flown from Brazil to Mexico, Regularly over this time period Blood vials are stored underground in this temple As well as various other machines Cryotech and the blue tubes Containers of blue liquid for cloning The blood vials contains ET slash animal and human DNA Infused with nanites We are given them for drinking in this place And are also injected the AI system learns from us through the nanites when we ingest the blood. We learn from the AI system as well during this process. The end result is the ability to shapeshift and take on animal attributes for military operations. Clown Programming, Dr. Green Dr. Green teaches me about the power during this time. He encourages me to embrace my dark side And we start by killing birds together in the temple and drinking their blood. During this time, Dr. Green seems to shapeshift into a white-skinned vampire with pointy ears and teeth. His body and head seem to grow bigger. Not sure I see this through drugs or trauma. He looks a bit like an evil clown. Screen memories of clowns are put in afterwards to cover the memory up. These processes are preparations for the main ritual will occur in this place on October 21st, 1984. And that's the end of Part 1 of Project Ibis. An incredible, intense tale of survival, of childhood abduction, and of childhood exploitation into the Dark Fleet, Project Ibis, the project for choosing child soldiers and child slaves to function both on this planet and off-world according to the Dark Fleet's operational needs as you can tell it involves members of the elite of the United States government insanely advanced technology black covered projects of the Cold War involving special forces of the military Southeast Asian countries, South American countries, and international operating front line and, 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 and zone for these dark fleet alien forces. Enemy forces that were alien and non-human being combated by the Dark Fleet on Earth. Dealings with the rogue Pleiadians, otherwise known as Venusians, in the Astra High Command here. In in on this channel we know them as the Venusians, we know them and the Ashtar High Command. We, we talk about the Pleiadians a lot on this channel, so definitely check out the archives of the Know the Enemy series on the Beyond Top Secret text on YouTube, or elsewhere where you can find his videos, such as Odyssey or Library. And check out the Know the Enemy series um, on the archive of podcast episodes, where I talk in length about the Venusians, in length about the Astra High Command. As well as my episodes covering the Not Waffen and Dark Fleets. Two episodes covering those. From 2020, from one of the original days. We'll be back. This is going to be now, obviously, the just the tip of the iceberg for a multi-part episode. As we will continue to read, until we read all of this, we will cover all of it. And cover actually every single one of his writings uh, that we can find. As well as watch videos with James Casbolt. Um, and then just kind of so I can share that with you guys and, and really help bring to light that this, the things that I'm talking about and have personally undergone and experienced um, were brought to light to the public during the times when I was going through it in this world. Um, these that came out in 2010, edited in 2011. I would join the Navy in 2010. And while he was breaking down what was happening in the 80s and 90s for him, you know, I was going through my own board. My, my stuff began in the 90s and um, followed into the 2000s and 2010s. Without him, I don't think I could have woken up because James Casbolt is that important to the story of Michael Viegas, of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Everyone out there in dreamland, Namaste and Shalom. And this is for the podcast audience. You know, Namaste and Shalom. Iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. Join me again when we go into part two and beyond into the Project Ibis James Casbolt testimony. The greatest audience out there in dreamland. You know, never change, stay as perfect as the day I met you. Thank you all very, very much. God bless you and your families. Peace out.